0: hi i'm eric also known as trekkie v47 from the ranger command power hour and the starfleet escape podcast you're listening to another great four eyed radio product for more shows check out four eyed it's morphin time starfleet
1: escape podcast prepare for launch in three two one enjoy the ride
0: Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 40 and is being recorded on May 16th, 2014. Today's topic, transporter accidents and oddities. I'm Eric.
2: And I'm Aaron. This episode is brought to you by Raven Designs, illustrations and designs that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. Hey, Aaron. Hello, Eric. How are you this week?
0: It's been quite busy.
2: Uh, in a good way <laughs> with, or a bad way?
0: In a horrible way, with oh, work.
1: <laughs> awesome. It's,
0: no, it's just uh, really busy at work and kind of stressful. But i mm-hmm. uh, been doing some podcasts, you know, recorded Ranger Command, and now we're recording today. and. Nice. Doing some editing, and you know how that goes.
2: Oh, do I ever.
0: (laughs) So how are you this week?
2: Uh, Not too bad. Uh, You know, work is work. And I've also been working on a uh, Lacar's program.
0: Yes. It's actually really cool. I've downloaded the beta, and I really like it. I think a lot of people get a kick out of it.
2: Thank you. I've actually improved it since you last... Since the beta you got, it's improved a little bit. I added a simple calculator to it.
0: You mean a treculator? Oh, snap.
2: Treculator.
0: (laughs) That sounds too much like checkulator.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) I know our new sign off. (laughs) Treculator.
0: Oh, my God. We're totally using that. True that. All right, so why don't you say we get into the news?
2: Let's do it. So, Star Trek The Exhibition will come to the EMS Exhibit Center in Hall of America on Friday, May 16th for an extended six-month stay.
0: So starting today, as we record this, it's open. I live within a reasonable driving distance, like uh, six Mm. hours away. So okay. uh, my, uh, one of my old roommates and uh, good friends is actually driving up there later this summer to see her parents. Okay. And when I posted about this news, she was like, hey, maybe you could join me and my husband and visit Minnesota and go to the Mall America and see this exhibit. And I was like, that sounds like a road trip.
2: <laughs> so road I, might,
0: I might actually see this.
2: That would be Finally. awesome.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I have no idea when this is ever coming to Chicago.
1: Yeah, who knows?
0: They've been to Detroit, and I missed that one, mm-hmm. and now they're in Minnesota at the Mall of America. So I think right now that's the closest I'm going to get to it. this. Probably, yeah. I, I want to see all the props. I want to see all the cool stuff.
2: Yeah, th- that's awesome. I love props. Who doesn't love props? True that. True that.
0: Kate Mulgrew's Orange is the New Black is renewed for a third season. Now, have you watched Orange is the New Black?
2: I have not. I'll ask you the same.
0: I have not either. Mm. But Kate Mulgrew plays Galena Red Reznikov in the series. And uh, she's a character in this show. <laughs> I think she's the cook. Of the prison? I'm not sure. Just judging by her uniform. Yeah.
2: I'll go with that. i like to know what people think of it, if anyone wants to let us know. Uh, should we watch this? This is on Netflix, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why I shouldn't be watching this. I mean, it's Kate Mulgrew, so...
2: Right. She's my now, captain. Yeah, I was just going to ask, is she your favorite captain?
0: <laughs> I really hate these favorite questions in Star Trek, because uh-huh. I really love the whole franchise... Right, and it really depends on my mood or what I feel like. I think my favorite captain is Picard. Okay, but I think right up there is Archer. I just I really like Archer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Janeway would be a close third, followed by Cisco, and then Kirk. Okay, I don't know. See, it it always changes. You could ask me six months from now, I'd be like, oh. Cisco's awesome, and it could be because <laughs> I just watched a whole bunch of Deep Space Nine. You don't know. True. But yeah, Orange is the New Black, I guess. Maybe, maybe I'll Netflix binge this weekend and watch it.
2: Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. Patrick Stewart will star in a new stars comedy series, Blunt Talk, where Stewart will play a Stephen Colbert-type character as a British TV show host of a cable news show. This seems kind of interesting. I like Stephen Colbert, I love Patrick Stewart.
0: Well, so. this new comedy is from Seth MacFarlane, oh. and Seth MacFarlane is a huge Star Trek fan, True that. and Patrick Stewart has been on both Family Guy and American Dad. Both are Seth MacFarlane shows.
2: Mm. And Seth MacFarlane was uh, cameoed in an Enterprise episode.
0: In a couple Enterprise episodes. And a couple? Oh, Yeah, so. he, he, was in, he was in a few in the background, yeah.
2: So that's pretty cool. Seth MacFarlane uh, produces uh, Cosmos. Cosmos, and yes. Patrick Stewart uh, voiced a s- short animated segment
0: of Cosmos. Yes, and I love that show. I think everyone needs to be watching Cosmos. True that. It is. It will make your mind go like... Poof,
2: I've seen some Twitter conversations where he says, oh, it's only going to be this one season, and everyone's like, come on, you need to you know, make another season of this. Let's go. Let's do it. Hopefully yeah, I, I, I
0: want them to do more. Next, a researcher creates holodeck with Oculus and Kinect. Oliver Krelos has combined three Kinects with an Oculus Rift. To import a 3D representation of himself into virtual reality. Oh my God, it's <laughs> happening!
2: <laughs> yeah, not quite the same as Star Trek's holodeck, but approaching reality.
0: Yes, I like that it's using current technology with the uh, the Oculus, which I guess is becoming a new thing that they want everyone to have. And three connects. I mean, that's that's pretty sweet,
2: right? It's using I, the original Connect, so the imaging quality isn't as good as the Connect Two.
0: You mean still. the Xbox One Connect?
2: Yeah, isn't it like the Connect Two? No. no, no. It's just the Xbox One Connect. <laughs> yes, oh, that's lame.
0: But yeah, I also saw something where they took an Oculus mm-hmm. and put someone on kind of like this treadmill gyro thing. Uh-huh. So you're in the virtual reality, but you're walking and and your movements correspond with your character. So I think that's even more approaching the holodeck.
2: Right, because that's basically what the holodeck did.
0: Yes. But instead of treadmills, it was just like force fields and right. perspective changes. And we're getting there.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's uh, very cool. and hopefully I, hope by,
0: I hope by the time I'm 50, mm-hmm. there's an actual holoduck. I think that'd be cool.
2: That'd be, that would be cool. One thing that's weird about this uh, this setup is that you can do first person and third person. If you go on the link in yes. the uh, show notes, uh, it has a little video of it going on, and he starts off in first person, then throws it to third person, and he says that it's disorientating uh to see himself in third person. I think like, moving around. But in third person the image looked a lot clearer than in mm-hmm. first person. Because if you you know how you're looking at the Kinect and it has that little I guess uh, It's a picture.
0: sensor. Yeah, it's a little sensor on the bottom.
2: Right, and it it's, you know, kinda of fuzzy. Yeah. That's how the representation looks in Oculus.
0: Well, I know with the Xbox One Connect, the resolution is superb. Like it's a whole lot better. So maybe you'd actually see a realistic photo representation that's more sharper than what they have right now. Right. But that's pretty cool.
2: Indeed it is. Next, Orsi to direct Star Trek 3.
0: So, obviously, we're talking about uh, Roberto Orsi, Mm -hmm. who wrote the first two Star Trek movies with... um, Isn't it, like, Kirkman or his his writing partner?
2: Oh, yeah, his writing partner, which I read that they were splitting up.
0: Yes, I read that, too.
2: Uh, To do separate projects.
0: Which is interesting, because they've done a lot of great movies together. I just saw... Sp- uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Two, mm-hmm. and they were credited as writers, and I, I didn't even know they worked on that, so mm. I was pleasantly surprised.
2: Yeah, so I mean, hopefully this is a good thing. People, some people on the internet are not happy with the choice, but I
0: well, when When are people on the internet ever going to be happy? That's and,
2: true, and this will be his directoral debut. Uh, in Star Trek 3.
0: But see, I'm not worried about it because he's already been connected to the process of the other two movies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wrote the other two movies. He knows these characters, and I think he knows the direction that he wants to take this movie. So, if anything, maybe the last two movies he was working more closely with Abrams and maybe learning some directorial stuff. So, I... I have no problems with this. I I think it's in good hands. Hopefully less lens flare. I'm sure there will be less lens flare. (laughs) Uh, This is my favorite story this week, Mm -hmm. and I wish I had the money for this. But a mansion with Star Trek-themed theater is set up for sale for $35 million, It's currently owned by Mark Bell, a financier, producer, and former CEO of adult networking site FriendFinder. One of his rooms is a Trek-themed theater, including a Borg alcove. And this theater is modeled after the Next Generation Bridge, Mm -hmm. and in the back, the bar looks like something from Deep Space Nine and the Promenade. Right. And it's amazing. And it's got... He also has a game room in his mansion, Mm -hmm. which has three Star Trek pinball machines. Right. This is awesome.
2: (laughs) That's pretty cool. And he also has uh, a Call of Duty-themed gaming room where you can play video games in.
0: That's awesome. And this is in Florida. So, I mean, that's cool.
2: I guess. If you like hurricanes...
0: And crazy people, but um,
2: <laughs> face off, yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, I, I mean, you should. All of our listeners should check out the pictures on uh, our links that are in our show notes. It's it's really cool. If I swear to God, if I was a millionaire and I was a Star Trek fan, well, I am a Star Trek fan. But if I was a millionaire, Star Trek Great. fan, I would buy this in a in a heartbeat. This is cool. Or I, I or I do it in my own house. I don't yeah, know.
2: exactly. Yeah. I I think that's what I would do. If I could, man, I would make at least a floor of my house all Star Trek. Yeah. Automation.
0: What's interesting, and you'll probably get a kick out of this, Aaron, if you go to the Business Insider article, they blow up a picture of the TNG style room that he has, and all along the floor are a ton of tribbles. There's, like, (laughs) tribbles all along the floor. Wow, nice. So I, I thought you'd get a kick out of that.
2: Uh, no doubt, no doubt.
0: But yeah, I totally want a room like that.
2: True that. So next up uh, is not exactly Star Trek news, but I thought it was hysterical, and I wanted to talk about it really quick. Okay. So Pope Francis says that he would definitely baptize extraterrestrials if they asked him to. <laughs> yes!
0: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> So now we can get uh, aliens into our religion.
2: Exactly, because you know they would want to, right? Oh yeah, because they don't have their own religion that they would, you know, try to force upon us.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's that's cool.
2: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, you know, sci-fi ish.
0: I liked. Um I like the quote that they have. It says, The Vatican's astronomer, the same one who dismissed intelligent design as bad theology, said in 2010 that he'd baptize an alien because any entity, no matter how many tentacles it has, has a soul. But again, only if they request it. So
2: Right, so he's not going to force it upon them.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Why not? Why not? At least, at least the church is accepting of... Aliens. Alright, so next, on Would You Buy It? Uh huh. Would you buy this?
2: See, I'm not good with models.
0: So that's a no.
2: That's a no. It's cool, though.
0: I would buy this if I already didn't have one that I needed to put together. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um, and what we're talking about is the USS Reliant model kit. So this is from Polar Lights. And it is a 1-1000 scale which, uh, model kit of the USS Reliant NCC 1864. And it includes 40 plastic parts that snap together. And they are molded in off-white like the filming miniature used in the production of Star Trek II. Hmm. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, the model will be 9.5 inches long. And fans should be on the lookout for an accessory pack of waterslide Aztec decals, which will be sold separately. Hmm. And the Aztec details give that paneling effect on the Starship. Right. Which is really hard to do with painting. Yeah, <laughs> like I if you tried to paint yeah. that, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So this will be available in July. Oh, awesome. From all most hobby retailers. And there you go. Uh,
2: this lights up as well, right?
0: No, it does not light up. It does uh, Mainly, any lights or anything like that, you can usually get from the after uh, effects market. Okay. So uh, a lot of model kit producers, they have aftermarket kits, which include lights that you can add and different uh, parts that you can add to the ship to make it different. Okay. So there's... The modeling community has a lot of uh, people that supplied those kind of extra accessories.
2: Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they're reissuing this. The one I have is uh, significantly older, I think from the mid-90s when AMT was big in the industry still, Mm -hmm. and so I have that kit. And I was actually going to turn it into the uh, USS Tiananmen, uh, named after the Tiananmen Square, because... Uh, my one of my role play characters in star trek role playing by email served on that ship so i was going to make it like a like the ship that he served on so, cool
2: yeah. like help card has the stargazer exactly yeah, yeah. no that's cool. That's, that's
0: cool um they don't actually list a price on this mm-hmm. but from my experience with models and everything i can assume that this will be anywhere from 25 uh to 40 bucks depending on you know, the number of pieces and how limited it is. Okay. So I think it'll be pretty affordable.
2: Nice. Now, you said the snaps together?
0: Yes. Uh, some of these smaller scale uh, model kits, they are snapped together. It's only going to be 9 inches long. Uh, the one I have is probably more like 15 inches long, okay. and that's um, a larger scale. It's a seven fifty scale which a lot of the AMT ships back in the day were at. So this one's definitely smaller. And yeah, for smaller kits, you can usually just snap it together. But if you're a true modeler that really takes the attention to detail, uh, you'll probably glue this kit together, You know, fill in the seams, sand them down, paint it, and do that. So, But this is great for kids and adults.
2: All right, so let's uh, jump into the topic of the don't show. Don't you
0: mean let's beam into the topic
2: of the oh, show? Oh, yeah, I prefer shuttlecraft.
0: Well, af- after this episode, I will prefer <laughs> shuttlecraft as well.
2: <laughs> so the topic, transporter accidents and oddities.
0: Oh, I'm scared. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why don't we discuss what the transporter is, if you don't already know, which you you probably do, you're a Star Trek fan, and you're you. in case you don't know. The transporter, or materializer, is a subspace device capable of almost instantaneously moving an object from one location to another. Transporters are able to dematerialize, transmit, and reassemble an object. The act of transporting is often referred to as beaming, and that comes from a favorite Star Trek information source, Memory Alpha. Yes. And Geordi LaForge had this to say about the transporter. <laughs> It really is the safest way to travel. That was in 2369. But let's talk about when things go wrong.
0: And I think after this episode, we'll know why McCoy hates beaming. Uh,
2: true that. <laughs> so let's start uh, with well, Enterprise.
0: Yes, with uh, my one of my favorite series. Mm-hmm. First in Enterprise, even in the first episode, in the premiere all the characters were really hesitant about beaming. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, yeah, but it's been cleared for biomatter. And yeah, this was like the first
2: <laughs> a transporter cleared, right? On, yes. Installed on a starship.
0: Yes, it was. So, well, I think there were ones on starships before, but that was strictly meant for cargo. Right, right. And this is the first one approved for Biomatter. So they used it in certain situations before this episode on Enterprise, particularly Mm -hmm. in the premiere episode when they had to beam Archer away. And I remember that episode because Archer looked at himself like, oh my God, am I all here? (laughs) I think that was my favorite moment. But we're going to talk about the first accident which is in the episode Strange New World with Ethan Novakovich. So on this planet, they're, they're strain on this planet that has this pollen dust that starts affecting everyone's well-being. And there's a storm that happens, so everyone's trapped in a cave. And the captain finally decides to get the away team back to Enterprise, but the shuttle is unable to land during the storm. So the away team is forced back into this cave for the night. Mm-hmm. However, since Novakovich wouldn't go into the cave of the others because of his paranoia that was going on, it was decided to use the still experimental transporter to bring him back. But because of the storm and there was leaves blowing around, the transporter is unable to distinguish between Novakovic and the plant life Being blown around. So several leaves and small twigs are embedded in his skin as a result. And originally, this episode was supposed to have him die because of those injuries. Mm -hmm. But I read that the producers thought that that was probably too soon in the series to have a death. Okay. So it's basically assumed that he's alive. We never see the character again,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. but... There's no mention in the episode that he dies because of his injuries. Okay. So what did you think of this accident?
2: I think this is probably one of the most possible accidents to happen. I think it could even happen in the 24th century. Right. And it's very similar to other stories like, oh, what is that, uh, The Fly? Yes. Where, when a fly gets in the transporter and then you know, they, they merge. Actually it's more like other ups another episode that we'll talk about.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I guess it's all pretty much the same thing.
0: Well, I think even though you know the technology improves in Star Trek, you know, it could be said that, you know, maybe their biofilters weren't strong enough or, you know, the sensors weren't good enough. I think there would definitely be less of this to worry about in the 24th century, but like you said, there's an episode coming up which we'll discuss. But, I mean, it, to me, I think it would be more of a freak accident in the 24th century, right. whereas in Enterprise's time, I think this is a bit more plausible to happen more frequently. Right. If not, careful.
2: I'm surprised it didn't happen more often because they used it a few times, the transporter.
0: Yeah, and there were definitely limitations in enterprise. I know the range was significantly shorter, mm-hmm. and you know you definitely couldn't do things like beaming at warp to another ship, right. or anything like that.
2: I'm sure site to site transport wasn't something that would happen.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think they would do that. Yeah, no. that's that's
2: <laughs> that was that. And now Daedalus, mm-hmm, which has an accent with Quinn Erickson. So let's let's jump ahead here. So Emery Erickson is the inventor of the transporter. And in the episode we learn that he's kinda like a second father to Archer. Yes. And he goes aboard the Enterprise and says that he's going to be conducting experiments on a subquantum transporter, which is supposed to theoretically, you'll be able to beam from planet to planet. Theoretically, there would be no limit to the range of this transporter. So they go to an area of space called the Barrens, where there are no stars. It's later found that the testing was a ploy so that the Enterprise transporter could be used to save Quinn Erickson, Emery Erickson's son, Mm -hmm. who was trapped in the Barrens in a subspace node due to an experiment 15 years before that.
0: Right, and it's kind of like trying to find his signal. Mm -hmm. And we've heard about this in Star Trek before, where, oh no, we're losing their signal, or we're losing their pattern. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it definitely plays to that. And it's kind of like in the J.J. Star Trek, where Scotty was experimenting with transwarp beaming. right, And he said, you know, I'll let you know if I find archer's prize beagle. <laughs> right. so, so we've got beagle patterns out there in space.
2: Walking around, yeah. and It was very, very interesting because the pattern of, of Ericsson, it was a subspace distortion basically that was walking yes. through, that would show up randomly on the ship and walk through. One crewman died when Ericsson walked through him. Yes. T'Pol was injured on her hand when the distortion walked through her. Totally, like, messed up her hand, and yeah. the the crewmen or the officer that died, his whole face was distorted. It was like he had no more face. It was right. kind of gruesome to see.
0: Yeah, and whatever transporter, you know, his transporter got lost in this barrens and, and was trapped in this region of space, and... I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, we haven't seen anything like this before in Star Trek, but maybe it was just due to that region of space and the early transporter tests that were going on.
2: Right. Quinn volunteered for the test, mm. uh, and I, I believe they had, they were testing the sub-quantum transporter, and Quinn volunteered to be the first one to try it out. And this will play into my quantum state of flux later.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: So I thought this was a really good episode.
0: Yeah, I think it was very emotional, especially right. with with Emery and dealing with the loss of his son and trying to get him back. And mm-hmm. this also really affected Trip as well.
2: Right, because Trip idolized him.
0: Yes. Right. So I think this is a fantastic episode, and this is the rare this is the rare episode in the fourth season that isn't a multi-parter or part of a story arc. Mm -hmm. It's one of the few fourth season standalone episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good one.
2: I think the fourth season is my favorite season of Enterprise.
0: Oh, no doubt. And this is
2: one of the reasons why, this episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah, even their standalone episodes were fantastic. Mm -hmm. So next, (laughs) we move into the original series, First, we're going to talk about the good and evil Kirk from the original series, The Enemy Within. So, a foreign substance interferes with the normal operation of the transporter, causing it to split the personality of the subject being transported. The first cycle produces a good duplicate, while the second produces an evil one. With no shuttles, this is the early part of the first season which had no shuttle model, Mm -hmm. a landing party is in peril until Scotty can repair the transporter.
2: With fear, the two Kirks are dematerialized (laughs) and the two (laughs) halves are rejoined.
0: I'm like, what? With fear? Like, what?
2: (laughs) No, the evil Kirk was... So they beamed aboard Kirk in the episode, and Kirk is uh, disorientated.
0: Yeah, and they they all walk out of the transporter room and then Kirk. unbeknownst to them a second pattern emerges.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's the Evil Kirk.
2: The Evil Kirk and he's like doing all sorts of bad stuff, which is
0: William Shatner is like most crazy. If you want to see William Shatner at crazy, this is the episode you want to watch.
2: Yeah. He is
0: nutso in this. Yeah. And it's really scary.
2: It's really weird he demands Saurian brandy from McCoy he forces himself on Yeoman uh, Ram. Ram. Yeah. And it's like, whoa! And then they like...
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is like, whoa.
2: Like, whoa. And they're like, she just said you did this, Jim. And he's like, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. And then they find out that the transporter is splitting up signals into two beings with this little alien dog-like creature.
0: Which also split, didn't it?
2: It split into one docile uh, dog
1: puppy, (laughs) little puppy,
2: and then this uh, really—it's little bastard, (laughs) (laughs) yeah—really aggressive. Like like,
0: like my neighbor's dog. Um, (laughs) um, One interesting thing to note about the production of this episode. Mm -hmm. So Grace Lee Whitney, who portrayed Yeoman Rand, uh, she recounted that while shooting the scene. When a distraught and tearful Janice Rand accuses Captain Kirk of trying to rape her, William Shatner slapped her across the face to get her to register the proper emotion. As they shot the rape scene days earlier, Whitney couldn't get into the same emotion successfully, and that was Shatner's solution to the problem.
2: <laughs> well. So, <laughs> good old
0: 1960s William Shatner...
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read that part. Uh, <laughs> I believe he smacked her. But I mean, I guess I could see that. I mean, yeah. people pinch themselves to cry and all sorts of things. And as mm-hmm. an actor,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it might have been hard for her. Like the article said, you know, it was hard for her to get back into that same state of mind. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if. S- slapping someone. Would... <laughs> I mean, that would do it, I guess, but damn. Right. <laughs> this, uh, this episode was, it was very like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
2: Yeah. There you go.
0: In this episode, the problem with being split like that is there's no balance to your character anymore. Mm-hmm. So good Kirk lost all of his passion and his drive and he wasn't an effective leader. Right, he, he couldn't, couldn't make any
2: decisions. It,
0: right. But the evil Kirk had no self-control and no restraint. Mm-hmm. So he took it to the extreme. Right. And it's kind of like this balance that Star Trek is promoting. And, you know, there's, there's good and evil within all of us, and we have to make that work. And I think... Out of all of the characters, Spock was the one that could more easily identify with Kirk's problem in this episode. Right. Because Spock had to, has to struggle with his human and Vulcan side all the time. So I I thought this was a really good episode.
2: I thought it was a good episode. I thought the premise... Didn't make sense, but I thought the story—I thought it was a good story. Yes,
0: yes, a good story.
2: Because obviously, the there's no way the transport, even with a foreign substance caught in the transporter, it's not going to split your personality right down the middle. And both the good and the bad couldn't exist without each other. So they would die if they weren't rejoined. Yeah. So, and thankfully they were successful in combining them because the the dog creature didn't survive. Right. And, and they uh, said that that was because of the fear of what was happening. And oh, so
0: the both, both of the little dog things were scared and that's what killed it? Yeah. Interesting.
2: And the evil Kirk was afraid of dying. He said he screams, "I want to live." Yes. Towards the end of the episode. And then, you know, Kirk's like, "Basically, get a hold of yourself. Let's go. You will live and I'll live together as one." Something along those lines.
0: Uh, little side note, did you know this is the first episode to show the Vulcan nerve pinch? I did not. As well as the first time McCoy says he's dead, Jim.
2: Oh. I did not know that.
0: So this was two Star Trek firsts in this episode.
2: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I watched the episode and then I asked on Twitter why the shuttlecraft was never used. I was like, did they even mention the shuttle? Because it could have been like, oh, you know, the shuttle couldn't... (laughs) Go through the atmosphere or something. They could have right. had a line like that. I don't remember them mentioning anything. And it wasn't until a couple of episodes later in the Galileo Seven when they finally have a shuttle. Yeah. In the series, it was funny seeing combination of you know 1960s effects, but uh, Sulu's there in the cold, like the temperature is supposed to drop down to like negative like, 400 degrees or something or like <laughs> that. And he's there shivering with three other guys, and, like, they put, like... It kind of looks like frost on their, like, eyebrows and stuff.
0: Yeah, it looks bad, though. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it does. But, you know, angry. the original series has awesome storytelling.
0: Oh, yeah. So. It's, it's great. It's a great story.
2: Yeah. So, next, the Mirror Universe. So, as we all know hopefully, an ion storm interferes with the transporter increasing the power and bridging two different universes together. The Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and Uhura of our universe transport aboard at the same moment their Merry universe counterparts causing them to switch places. Uh, Scotty is then able to reproduce the power surge and is able to transport them back to the prime universe before the bridge between the universes collapsed.
0: It's interesting that the transporter has such a powerful effect Mm -hmm. that it can cause things like this. And it always seems that the transporter is fine until something unexpected interacts with it. Right Here it's an ion storm, previously... You know, it's pieces of material that aren't expected. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that the transporter, while so sophisticated, it, it doesn't seem like it takes a lot of it for an outside source to interfere with it. Right. To produce negative effects. But I think this is interesting because this shows that the transporter can be used to access another universe.
2: Which is yeah, crazy. It is, and... The transport seems to be like a go-to plot device in these yes. stories, which, you know, sometimes it's, it feels like it's overused.
0: A little bit. And, I mean, it's even been used to time travel. Right. It's been used to put people into stasis for 70 years or
1: more. Right. Right.
0: It's been used to cure, cure people, yeah, cure people yep. of diseases. Yep. And we know that the transporter has biofilters, so no... Um,
2: well, in the 24th century. Right, right.
0: And it's interesting that the transporter has all these different uses, or they can, but I don't know if they should all the time. And like you said, it's, it's kind of overused.
2: Mm-hmm. Another example, Rascals, where we have... <laughs> we have
0: oh god yeah where they turn into like what <laughs> In I like case. to call uh, Star Trek babies yeah instead of Muppet they, babies
2: yeah and then they use the transporter again to fix them <laughs> even them though
0: it's like where does that extra mass go and uh, yeah and then not to get into too deep with the transporter but there's that metaphysical aspect where yeah. if we're transported we're being destroyed. So, mm-hmm. is the person that is on the other end of, of the transport is that really me, right. or is that just a copy of me? Mm-hmm. And you know, is is that the original me, or is it someone different? And right. that's for just normal beaming. So, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so it's no wonder that there are so many accidents and oddities mm-hmm. with the transporter.
2: And then the episode, Dataless they say there were protests about this, and they bring up the exact same thing you just mentioned.
0: Yeah, I think it's a philosophical question that we'll have to address, or we can address it now, but I think if there's ever a time in our history where we create this technology, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I don't think it would ever be in our lifetime, I think there was one Science of Star Trek article that said that, to break something down into, you know, to basically destroy it. And then the power to reassemble it exactly as it was. I think it was something crazy. Like you'd take the power of the entire power of the sun to do that or something. Right. Like it, it, it's just an insane amount of energy that I honestly don't think that we'll ever see this happen in our lifetime.
2: Yeah. Cause you have to heat up the molecules to break them apart Basically. Right. So you're like basically exploding yourself. So that, that yeah. must be painful.
0: <laughs> well, and and that's the thing. It's it's never really shown in Star Trek that beaming is painful. Right. The only the only thing is in some episodes it feels like like they can feel it start to happen. Yeah. But it doesn't affect them negatively. It's not like oh ah. Uh, Right. It's not like that every time.
2: Right. And Otherwise,
0: we'll, who would do it?
2: <laughs> yeah. We'll talk, I think we should talk a little bit more about that in the Realm of Fear.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of which, let's let's just jump right into TMG then.
2: Yeah, let's, let's do it. Actually, do you want to skip to Realm of Fear?
0: Yeah, let's talk about Realm of Fear first. Okay. Um, so in Realm of Fear, the issue of transporter psychosis is brought up. And this episode focuses on Lieutenant Reginald Barkley, who, as a lot of people should know, he's kind of like the hypochondriac of the Star Trek universe. And he's always going to the doctor and the counselor and with some kind of medical issue or what he believes is a medical issue.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So transporter psychosis is an incurable medical condition. It's caused by a breakdown of neurochemicals during transport affecting the body's motor functions, autonomic systems, and the higher reasoning centers of the brain. A victim of transporter psychosis suffers from paranoid delusions, Multi infarct dementia, hallucinations, somatic, tactile, and visual, and psychogenic hysteria. <laughs> Peripheral symptoms include sleeplessness, accelerated heart rate, diminished eyesight leading to acute myopia, painful spasms in the extremities, and in most cases, dehydration.
2: Crap! I got transport of psychosis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like, transporter psychosis may cause peripheral systems. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs>
2: Barclay probably looked up the 24th century equivalent of WebMD. Web yeah, like, <laughs> oh crap, I have transporter psychosis.
0: So there were some cases of transporter psychosis reported as early as the mid-22nd century, which was actually mentioned in the episode Daedalus, which we just talked about. However, it wasn't officially diagnosed until 2209 on Delinea 2. It was eliminated by the invention of the multiplex pattern buffer in 2310, and that was mentioned in Realm of Fear. So it seemed like this was something that was that could happen even in Kirk's time, all through Enterprise in Kirk's time. So in 2369, in this episode, Realm of Fear, Lieutenant Barclay believed that he was suffering from transport psychosis after he was infected by a quasi-energy microbes while transporting to the disabled USS Yosemite. This was significant as there had not been a fully diagnosed case in almost 60 years. When and actually what had happened was he thought he saw these microbes
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the pattern buffer, but he was able to like hold on to one of them and actually transport one of the crew members of the Yosemite.
1: Right.
0: So... His it was, it's actually kind of funny because his paranoid delusions, you know, his you know WebMD of the Star Trek universe's paranoia, right, uh, actually helped save some people.
2: Yeah, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Some instances, it seems that the transporter completely breaks you down, and you have no knowledge of what happened from you know point A to point B. Right. And then it seems like you're fully conscious throughout the whole transporter cycle.
0: And we've seen multiple instances of that because sometimes they'll start talking mid-transport and then they resume their conversation after they're done transporting. We've seen that in um, in the Star Trek movies, specifically in uh, Star Trek IV because in the original series, it whenever they transported, it was like they froze. It was like... But in Star Trek 4, you know, Jillian Taylor, when she's getting beamed up and it's like, oh my god, what's happening to me? And then... uh, And then it's like, but... Like, what? What just happened? So, yeah, we've we've seen it both ways, where they completely... It's like they completely freeze, which I think is what should happen. Right. Because you want the pattern buffer and you want the angular confinement beam to capture you. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen cases in Star Trek where if they get outside of the confinement beam or they somehow move during transport, sometimes it goes wrong. And so we've seen many different ways and they're kind of inconsistent. Mm -hmm. But part of me wonders if it's different transporter systems because in Star Trek Four, it was the Klingon transporter. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's works slightly differently. Right. Where it can allow for that.
2: Yeah, and we see this episode, Realm of Fear. Barkley is he's in the beam, but he's it still looks like him in the beam. Right, right, right. But there's like all this like fuzzy, sparkling things going around him. And then he sees these microbes and then he reaches out and actually grabs them
0: right and i don't know and maybe it's maybe it's something where like from your perspective it's different like in a transporter maybe you think you're whole but maybe it's just I don't know. It's See, this is that metaphysical stuff that we can get into.
2: Right. And it's like you shouldn't even be you shouldn't be able to see anything. You're being ripped apart right now.
0: Right. You're being unco- you're unconscious. And right. it's not like if you're transported, you're still a conscious living being. You're right. it like you have
2: like a, a little bubble around you. Right. And it, it would be one thing if there was like a subspace bubble around you. Or so if you're
0: through a wormhole, but this isn't yeah. a wormhole. This is a right, transporter. Exactly. Right. Another thing I wanted to bring out a little bit off topic, but it's interesting to note that throughout the, all the Star Trek series, there are different beaming effects. Yeah. And we know that's because you know artistic license, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: part of me wants to think that that's also a visual representation of the technology advancing. Okay. Because like in Voyager. It's like you've got multiple like yeah
1: yeah
0: that that come together and come apart. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original series, it's more like an outline with the sparklies,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then in the next generation, it's you know it's still the sparklies, water. But yeah. Yeah, but it's more like an a elongated beam. Right. And we've seen different alien transport effects, too, where sometimes it's more wispy, and it looks like whoosh, and they right. just disappear. Right. And so we've seen all kinds of crazy transporters, which which is another thing. Like I would be scared that if I went through this alien's transporter that it would affect me differently than if I went through a Starfleet one. Right.
2: Yeah. Like what if there's isn't as advanced and now I have cancer because I use their transporter. Or
0: what if I have transporter psychosis because of these guys? Right. Yeah. just because, you know, the invention of the multiplex pattern buffer happened in the 2310s doesn't mean that the Klingons got one. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or they exactly. ever
0: invented one. Like, for all we know, they really don't care about how right. people are affected in the transporter.
1: Right.
2: I don't think they would care.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. It's. I think people in Star Trek, and you know, may, maybe they're, we're just saying this because, for in that fictional universe, this is a common everyday thing for them. It's like, oh, I'll just transport, and here I am. Mm-hmm. But. I would think about it a lot more if I were. <laughs> I would like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not going in that Klingon's transporter. I don't know what happened. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I think it's I think it's taken for granted in the 24th century. Yeah. And maybe that's why accidents like this happen. Yeah, that's that's true.
2: So yeah, let's uh let's talk about the episode Second Chances. Okay. Which I really like this episode. Yes. So, stranded on a planet for eight years, a duplicate of William T. Riker is created when a massive energy surge in the distortion field around a planet occurs just at the moment Riker tries to beam out. The transporter chief at the time tried to compensate by initiating a second containment beam. However, Commander Riker's pattern maintained its integrity by just the one confinement beam. And even when the second beam was shut down, somehow it was reflected back to the surface of the planet, and another William Riker materialized. The confinement beam must have had the exact same phase variance as the distortion field, hence the two identical Rikers. Uh, They both materialized from the same pattern and are identical.
0: I don't like that.
2: (laughs) You don't like that it created a duplicate?
0: Yeah, because kind of like why I don't like the enemy within because mm-hmm. I feel that when you're being transporter it's not like it's not like this stuff can be copied where's that mass coming from where's that extra mass coming from it just can't come out of nowhere well here's the yeah. thing yeah. the replicators are based off transporter technology mm-hmm. but they're taking waste material or you know, stock material
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and reforming that into food or clothes or whatever you need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's still, it's not... The replicator isn't taking something out of thin air. It's using material to make something. It's like the law of equivalent... You, you know, it's like the law of equivalent exchange or something. It's You can't create one thing without taking it from somewhere else. And that's why I have a problem with, like, the duplicate thing in mm-hmm. Star Trek because... From a scientific standpoint, how are those molecules, how are those atoms getting duplicated? Where is that mass coming from? Do you get what I'm saying?
2: No, no, I I, I get what you're saying. If we it, like a like Xerox this,
0: copy or something? Like, I, I don't know.
2: Like, so you have the transporter, right? The transporter, right. transporter. And you're beaming down. It's taking the matter and converting it to energy and then back into right. matter. So there must have been enough energy in that second confinement beam to be converted back into matter.
0: <sighs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> or it could do this. It could take matter from the surrounding area, say oxygen molecules, and recombining it to create the matter needed.
0: I guess. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's... I, I just think it's a little weird. Like well, I, I know it's this
2: weird. It's definitely yeah, weird.
0: <laughs> I, I know this is a total fictional technology, but I still think there needs to be a little bit of plausibility to it. Mm-hmm. And and that's just my big thing with, so with these duplicates.
2: Think, uh, so you don't think it, this is possible? And in, in the Star Trek universe, like
0: well, it should shit. be possible. Well, anything is possible in the Star <laughs> Trek universe. We've seen that. Right. But um, I, I I don't know. I think. This is taking a little bit more of the fiction in science fiction.
2: I see. I, I I don't know. I was I was okay with it. I thought it was a really interesting story. I oh, wish, it's a great story. I wish William T. Riker, the upster William T. Riker, I wish that Thomas Riker, because the duplicate takes Thomas. Right, right, right. I wish he was crazier in the episode, because you're there alone for eight years. I feel like there should have been a little bit more going on. And like when counsellor Troy went to talk to him, she barely diagnosed him. She just like talked to him like, "Hey, how are you And then she started a relationship with this guy.
0: Well, here's the thing. I think mm-hmm. Riker was such a great Starfleet officer mm-hmm. and he definitely had survival training, like all uh, right. Starfleet officers do, so I think he would be well prepared. To survive on this planet, even alone. I know it might be traumatic for some people, but I think Riker is such a strong character that he could he could get through it, and he did. I I don't think there was that many psychological issues. I think the main issue came when he beamed back and saw that you know there was another version of him leading this different life. Right. I think that's where the issues come in.
2: Right. Uh, that's true, and that that's why later on in Deep Space Nine, he takes the courses of action that he takes.
0: Exactly. Um, but I think I think it's fascinating, I think. And it was great to see that character again. I'm glad yeah. they didn't forget about him.
2: Yeah, I'm glad they brought him back as well. Yeah. Uh, watch the episode. I forget the name of it. It might be called The Defiant. I believe it's called The Defiant, where he, yes. he's basically working for the Maquis, and commandeers the Defiant. Mm-hmm. And he shaved. It was funny. <laughs> so, Riker has a beard, right? So... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to distinguish them, after he commandeers the ship, he pulls off these, like, fake little patches of hair on his cheeks, and he just has this uh, goatee. <laughs> Which I, I thought was hysterical.
0: Oh, yeah. Gotta rock the evil goatee. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, true that, because Spock, right?
0: Exactly. Because <laughs> Spock.
2: Yeah, because Spock.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. we have time travel in Deep Space Nine's past tense two-parter. So due to chroniton particles emitted by the cloaking device, <laughs> In an explosion caused by a passing microscopic singularity, there was an increase in temporal energy. This led to Cisco, Bashir, and Dax being transported to San Francisco of the 21st century. Miles and Kira were able to duplicate the conditions and transported to several time periods to locate and retrieve the missing crew members. So opposed to the transporter going to another universe, mm-hmm. now we can basically have time travel. Right. Which... And the thing is, if they're able to duplicate these conditions, mm-hmm. you can time travel whenever the hell you wanted to.
2: Yeah. And potentially. The, potentially. And one of the things that they were they were talking about in the episode was they only had enough of these uh, chroniton particles to try about ten times the transport
0: right but
2: i was thinking to myself why don't you just turn on the tra- uh sorry the cloaking device which caused these particles and get more particles
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a really good point
2: <laughs> <laughs> like why can't you just do that so i, I
0: don't, don't know, know.
2: <laughs> uh, but i thought this was a great social socially aware episode yes I was actually i just watched this episode today and I was surprised about this, because this aired, let's see, maybe 90, uh, let's see, the f- when did, this was the third season, so that would be... No, oh,
0: the third season, that would be 96.
2: 96, okay. 96, 97. All right, yeah, so about then, I was... Oh, gee, I was like in sixth grade at the time, so I probably didn't. Yeah, I was
1: was a freshman, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I probably didn't grasp the totality of this episode back then.
0: Yeah, the episode had some great social commentary, and I think it's relevant today Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're talking about people out of jobs and, you know, all these work districts and people being split up to control the homeless and this and that. And what, I think this episode. Um, well, where they been to, wasn't it like 2020 or some, yeah, it was a time for, yeah, it was really close mm-hmm. to our time. Yep. And you know, it's kind of scary to think about is, but it, are we going that way? Like what? It, I, it, I thought it was, it was a fascinating episode. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's what the transporter and these plot devices do. Like mm-hmm. they may be funky and we might not get all the full explanation, but really, they're just there as a plot device for great stories.
2: Mm-hmm. And this was a great story two-parter, if you have the time. I highly suggest you watch it.
0: If you have the time.
2: Oh, sorry. Time travel. So in this episode, it's, it takes place in 2024. And they have, the basically they have the internet. They call it the net. Right. And they have these touchscreens, but it's not really touchscreen. They have to use a stylus. To touch it. So they were, so they were probably like, man, that we're, by that time we're not going to have the touch screens that we have in the twenty fourth century, right? So we can't show that.
1: <laughs> right. So
2: let's let's take the palm pilots that we have and imagine that as the computer interface. Right. So that that was really funny. Considering like right now we have touch screens everywhere. Yes. So I I thought that was funny, but that was 1996, probably, so, yeah,
0: good stuff. Go go internet. Yeah,
2: it was, you know, the internet, the internet was still in its infancy back then. Right. It wasn't the internet that we have today. No, god (laughs) Um, no. uh, So it was, and it wasn't, in the episode, it wasn't the internet that we have today, like, People had their own channels to communicate with. Mm -hmm. It was weird. It was very weird. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, uh, good episode, good social episode. Uh, Check it out. Next, an episode that I was pleasantly surprised with.
1: Really? A Voyager
0: episode?
2: It it was a Voyager episode.
0: My God, I can't believe you sat through one.
2: Yes. (laughs) Shut up. I sat through a two-hour episode with you. A Voyager. You did,
0: which yes. I was very thankful for. Yes, uh, it's a rare do, event.
2: We should do another one. Maybe not a two-hour one, but another Voyager episode.
0: Oh wow! This is this is monumental in
2: this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so the episode we're talking about
0: is Two Vicks. Fantastic episode. <laughs>
2: So, an alien plant life samples are collected by Tuvok and Nelix. During transport, the patterns are merged into one, later calling itself Tuvix. It is determined that one of the plants mate through symbiogenesis. While their patterns were broken down uh, in the transporter, the alien orchid caused the two patterns, well, actual, well, the patterns of the plant life and Tuvok and Neelix to combine into one being. My god. The doctor finally was able to reverse the process by radioactive actively labeling half of Tuvix's genome. So the transporter was able to lock on and separate the individuals. Tuvix, after weeks of becoming part of the crew, didn't want to give up his new life. And then it becomes a moral dilemma where the doctor refuses to perform the procedure and Janeway decides that this is going to happen. And her and Kim carry out the separation of Tuvix back into Nelix and Tuvok. Right. What did you think of the episode?
0: I thought this episode was great because it really posed that moral dilemma you know, what happens when two separate individuals are basically destroyed, but a new person is created? Right. And it's it's a big moral dilemma because Janeway and some other people, they want Tubok and they want Neelix back. Like Kess. Kes. Like Kes. Kess wanted Neelix back. She loved Neelix. And... And that's the thing, but this is a new person with new ideas and a new soul, essentially. I mean, it's, it's a new person. He might have the memories and the abilities of both of them, but he is his own individual. Mm-hmm. And that's the moral question that this episode provides, is it should we even destroy him?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did Tuvok and Neelix's lives should have ended because of this accident? And is it even right for us to destroy this new person to get two people back?
2: Right, and it seemed like the two parts were better as one. I don't want to say that, but it seemed like the characteristics of both worked very well to create this new individual.
0: Right, and it's kind of ironic because... You know, Neelix and Tuvok throughout Voyager's run, Neelix was always trying to get Tuvok's approval. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neelix even wanted to volunteer to be on the security team. And it seemed like they always saw eye to eye on different things. And Mm -hmm. Neelix always wanted to gain the approval of Tuvok. So it's interesting to see that when the two of them merge, they become this greater being. Right, with unique his own unique ideas and his own unique solutions, mm-hmm. and right. yeah, it took the best of them,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and maybe maybe the worst of them too. But it was still one person, and I thought this was a powerful episode. Obviously, they couldn't have kept two Vicks around because then you're getting rid of two main characters. Right. So I can see from like a episode point of view. But, God, this, at points, this was really hard to watch because you can, and it was so well acted right, that you definitely. could see the emotion, and it, it, I think this is one of Voyager's most powerful episodes.
2: No, I I agree. I feel like they could have used the transporter to create a duplicate, right, of Tuvix, right, set him aside. Okay. Then have the original Tuvix inject them with the radioactive material whatever right to separate the genomes
0: so you're saying so you're saying that they could take what people have learned in the past in the star trek universe and duplicate those conditions to have this third option where you keep two VIX,
1: mm-hmm. but you
0: also get back your original two people right why the hell didn't they think of that
2: <laughs> uh, who knows i mean in retrospect i mean i'm what i I watched all these episodes preparing for this, so I'm thinking... Well, see,
0: so the solution for you is right there. It's clear. right. But it might not have been clear to the characters at the time.
2: Right, and um, I'm sure it wasn't. It took weeks for the Doctor to come up with a way to separate them. Right. To
0: begin with. And in that time, in those weeks, Tuvix became his own integral part of the crew in his own way. Right, and, he was, and that's where the dilemma was, because the longer he was in that ship, the more friendships and attachments that he created with different crew members.
2: Right, exactly. Jane so Way, then you have
0: to mourn his loss.
2: Right, because Janeway even said, if we were able to do it right when Tuvix materialized, we wouldn't have had this moral dilemma at all. It would have just exactly. been
0: done. Yeah. But and because what, they got to know him as a person, that's where this this issue came up. And it's almost kind of like a um, measure of a man type of situation. Is this person that has, you know, the per- combined personalities of two people, is does he have a right to exist?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of like it's taking, I think it's taken the best of Star Trek, and this is what Star Trek is all about. It's about moral dilemmas and how we deal with that just in a science fiction setting. Right. So... Thumbs up to Tuvix. Yeah. I know peop, some people hate Voyager, but I this is one that I highly recommend. If you have never watched Voyager, watch this episode, because I, I think you'll have a different opinion.
2: Yeah, no, and, like, the pr- entire premise of the episode seems absurd.
0: Right, I mean, that, well, well, with all of these, the transporter is a third piece of science fiction technology.
2: Right, no, I, I'm just saying... Just having it, these two individuals being combined into one. Right. And I think that made me th- that made me feel like this episode was going to be you know a total comical episode.
0: No, but yeah, you, but you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> I couldn't
2: be more wrong. I couldn't be more wrong. You're right. And I went into this episode thinking I was going to hate this episode, and wow. at the end of it, I I liked it. I was like, because. I, this was one of the first ones I watched because I was like, I'm going to watch this one because I want to save the other episodes for last because I want a good episode to end on.
0: <laughs> wow. And I think I
2: should have done it the other way. I, I think this episode... So are
0: matter. you saying this was probably the best episode to end on?
2: Um, I'm going to toss up between 2vix and Past Tense.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Both moral episodes, I, I think.
0: Right. What's great about this this episode, and I, I know we're really harping on this episode, but it's really good, but I don't think you could have taken any other two Voyager characters and done the same thing. I don't think it would have been as effective.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: because because here, here you've got Tuvok, one of the most logical Vulcans yeah. in all of Star Trek, and then you've got Neelix, you know, one of the most happy lucky Well, he's also got a dark past, but, right. you know, he's, he's also, in his own way, a complex character. I know some people might not like him, but Neelix is great. And those two characters by themselves are at such polar opposite ends of the spectrum, but that's why they interact so well together. And that's where you get some of the comedy in some episodes, and also some of the drama, And this episode highlights the drama aspect of bringing these two characters together, literally.
2: (laughs) Right, yes. And I was thinking, from from another series, right, if this situation occurred, what two characters would I put in this situation? And immediately I'm pulled towards Odo and Quark.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That would have been perfect.
2: Because we do have that episode where they're stranded together.
0: Right, but you're saying pull a Tuvex on them.
2: Uh, pull a Tuvex on them, a Quordo.
0: Qu- <laughs> Quardo? <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, fan fiction writers, get on to make the DS9 episode Quardo.
2: Or we could do... Wait, wait. Or Quark? I oh, don't know, that doesn't sound as good.
0: What about... What about from next generation? Oh, um, Worf and Worf and
1: uh, who
2: did he? Who did he always? <sighs> I kind of want to say Alexander.
1: No,
0: no, no. Well, weird. Um,
1: <laughs> what about what about
0: Worf and, and um, <laughs> somehow Worf and Data?
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: They do have that sometimes. That interaction.
0: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I, and I can't. And their names wouldn't work. It'd be like Warda, or yeah.
2: It's and it's like the, <laughs> the the chemistry between the characters isn't the same. I think as Tuvik, <laughs> Tuvik, Bakinilix, <Tuvak laughs> and, and then we have Quark and Odo. Like they have this dynamic together, both yeah. sets of characters. That's unique. Uh, from any other oh, series.
0: Here's the thing. What about Spock and McCoy?
2: Wow. McCoy. Yeah, Spock and McCoy. Spock. and McCoy. that's good.
0: I don't want to say the other one because that sounds dirty. <laughs> like, McCock. I mean, what?
2: Yeah, no. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's true. They have that same dynamic. Right, right. Love-hate kind of dynamic.
0: Yes. All right. Well, moving on. Yeah. But
2: seriously, it's not a fanfic. Get that get on that.
0: Yes, get get, get on Cordo. You
2: know what? I'm going to write it. So, moving on to the next topic of the show, the subspace channels. And this week's question, transporters are scary. Besides Scotty and O'Brien, who would you trust to dematerialize you? So, Eric?
0: Uh, f- Spock. Spock. He's got the most scientific knowledge. I would want Spock, mm. or or mm-hmm. 2009 checkoff. J.J. Abrams, Star Trek 2009 checkoff.
2: True, but the only reason why I would vote against him is because Amanda died.
0: God, that wasn't his fault. I mean,
2: I'm not saying it was his fault, <laughs> but you know. But he
0: could he could track them, and he. Oh yeah, whatever.
2: No, that's my work. only quorum with that.
0: Okay, all right.
2: But, yeah, mine would be Data.
0: Oh, yeah, Data's a good choice.
2: Because he would be able to work those controls like a piano in case something was going on.
0: He can work any controls like a piano.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that I would I would pick Data. All right, cool. So, let's see what other people have to say. Yes. So, from Twitter, we have our friend at SciFiCommons... He was on the show a while back. Uh, He says Spock.
0: Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's my choice. Yeah. I think that's the most logical choice.
2: Oh, snap. (laughs) Moving on to Facebook, we have Lisa Clark, who says Trip.
0: I I like Trip, but I don't think he's technologically advanced as the other characters in terms of knowledge.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, I would trust him with... Twenty-second century transporters, but I wouldn't trust him with a twenty-fourth century one.
2: Right, it's like a steamboat captain, you know.
0: Right, right.
2: <laughs> In command. Like a
0: steamboat captain. Yeah, <laughs> it's commando- totally like that.
2: <laughs> command of the Enterprise, NCC seventeen oh one. Yeah. It, yeah. It, Problems would occur that he couldn't handle. Exactly. That was that was my point there. Uh, next we have Nicole, who says Picard, LaForge, Data, and Riker.
0: So all of them together working the transport.
2: <laughs> I, I I guess I feel like she's a next gen fan.
0: Really? Uh,
1: I don't know what. Because basically
2: she picks the whole cast. <laughs> <of> the <that laughs> Next generation.
0: I want them all to transport me. Oh, snap. Uh, next, your fiance mm-hmm. Ashley Wong, she says data. Oh. You two have very similar answers. Maybe that's why you're getting married.
2: Maybe. Maybe. Because <laughs> I said data as well, and I feel like the last question we asked...
0: Yes, you had the same answer as her. Right. I sense a conspiracy. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Our co-host, Marty Hogan... He said no one. He trusts no one to transport him.
2: Uh, similar to McCoy, who hated the transporter.
0: Well, like I said, I, I think after our talk, I'd be very hesitant <laughs> as well to use a transporter. As cool as that would be. God, I would love a transporter. I could see friends across the country. I could go to different places without you know, a plane ticket. It would right. be amazing. It would be. But but then I could have a leaf blown into me, and then...
2: <laughs> well, what if we used the Galaxy Quest transporter? How you're, basically is that in a, you're basically in a bubble, traveling through space towards the ship.
0: Well, then I'd be crapping my pants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. But you wouldn't be pulled apart.
0: Oh, there you go. That's true. No. As long as I'm not pulled apart and essentially destroyed, that would be great.
2: What What if you couldn't feel it?
0: I don't think that's the point. The point is, if I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I, I'm I'm sure they don't feel it anyway in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be. I, that's the thing. That's it's going back to that metaphysical question. What if I'm not me? Yeah. When like you're essentially dying every time you get in a your transporter, you're dead,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you're reassembled. It's weird. It's you know, just it weird. Is.
1: <laughs> it is very
2: weird.
0: Uh, next, we have Christine Isabel, who says... This is uh, Marty's wife. Oh. Well, hello, Christine. And she said LaForge or Spock.
2: Good choices. I feel like an engineer would always be...
0: Oh, yeah. An choice. engineer or a scientist. That's who I want.
2: There you go. Next, we have Marty and I's friend, <laughs> Michael Mikowitz, who agrees with you, uh, Eric, ah. and says, check off from the new series.
0: Yes. Good. Which good you,
2: choice. Good choice. Uh, next, moving on to Google+, we have Daft, I I don't think that's... I don't think that's pronounceable. <laughs> uh, maybe it's an acronym. I hope. Uh, if that's your real name, I'm sorry. I cannot pronounce it, Daft.
0: Or Daft to Asmir, maybe? Maybe. Okay. Uh,
2: who says, Dr. McCoy, he'd be careful, and if anything went wrong he'd be there to put me back together again.
0: (laughs) But I don't know if he'd have the technical expertise to actually transport you. I feel like him transporting you would be the problem itself.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) Next, uh, Daniel Price says in Exeter, (laughs) they usually do a decent job.
0: (laughs) You know, Daniel has a very good point. Because there are countless episodes or it's just some dude behind the controls, and it's like, and it always goes well. Right. <laughs> I think he's right. I'm going to go with his pick now. <laughs> I'm going to go with a trained extra. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: yeah, I think that's a perfect choice.
0: <laughs> now, the next one, we actually have the Romulan Star Empire answer us. So this is a big deal, you guys. This is the entire empire of the Romulans. And they said, if I have to choose, I would prefer Ensign Hoshi Sato. I bet you would, Romulan Star Empire. <laughs> uh, those perverts.
1: Those damn
2: Romulans.
0: They, they want her for something more than her linguistic skills, if you know what that I means.
2: Whoa, hey now.
0: Starfleet Command After Dark.
2: <laughs> uh, next we have David Pick. Who says, tragedies in history would dictate if I'd volunteer to use it. Tragedy? So I,
0: th- I think he said if if there was a tragedy in history, mm-hmm. that's when he would use the transporter. Like, oh, okay. barring any tragedies, he's not going to use the transporter. Gotcha.
2: Okay and, okay, and then these are his examples. If he was in a burning skyscraper with no way down and no escape from the fire there would be no other option. Absolutely, I'd volunteer to beam off-site. Okay. However, if an orbit in a, per, in a perfectly good shuttlecraft was available and an option to land, I'd use the shuttle first before beaming down. Uh, okay, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the shuttles were originally created in Star Trek. I mean, there were shuttles long before transporters. <laughs> and right. I think they're pretty fast anyway. I mean, yeah. they can go from ground to orbit in minutes, and boom, you're on the shuttlecraft. Right. But, I don't know, I, I, I would probably think the same way. I would reserve the transporter for an emergency situation where mm-hmm. I need to get out of there in a split second.
2: Right, and that was exactly what they did on Enterprise.
0: Yes, and I'm glad they did that because, because it was such an unproven piece of technology. Mm-hmm. So, I think that was a smart move. Exactly. Next, we have Robert Hader, who said, Data or Jordy, as long as I wasn't the last one to get beamed. <laughs> I'd want to be the last one, because if everyone else didn't make it, then don't beam
1: me. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> well, hey,
0: you guys go first. <laughs>
2: Let's see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Next, we have...
0: Well, this is new.
2: Yes, we have some answers I asked on... Star Trek Risa, which is a Star Trek social network site that we've mentioned before on the show. We now have a page over there, so if anyone wants to go over there and follow our Star Trek Risa page, please do. And you can also follow me over there. And and um, me. And Eric. So you Which go I, I've
0: got to use it more. But do. like on any social networking site, you can find me over there at TrekkieB47.
2: Right, and you can find me at Nova Charter.
0: And how can we find the Starfleet Escape podcast?
2: You can find it at SF Escape Pod.
0: So just like our Twitter.
2: Just like the Twitter,
0: right. Just like the Twitters.
2: <laughs> so what, keep it all the same
0: there. <laughs> so what do those fine folks over there have to say?
2: So we have Andreas Butcher Mack, who says Lieutenant Barkley, he knows the dangers and he is a brilliant technician.
0: You know what? I I would agree with him. Um, Barkley, for all of his uh, neurotic tendencies, he is really good at what he does, job-wise.
2: Right, he's uh, been that several times. Yeah.
0: And he helped, in some way, bring Voyager back home. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Next, we have Drake who said, Spock, an expert at most everything.
2: True. Good choice. Next we have Storm, who says, Data would have expert skill in a transport.
0: I think Data has expert skills in most everything he does. (laughs) Much like Spock. You can't go wrong with Spock or Data.
2: Right. No way.
0: Next we have Paula Jeffostar, who said, B'Elanna's quite good at all that engineering stuff. I reckon I'd trust her to be me somewhere.
2: (laughs) Why not? Well, again, engineer, so, and we said engineers or scientists. Yes. Be a good uh, technician, I guess, to transport you. Or an extra, we've determined.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with the extra. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with uh, gold shirt number 12 for this one. Uh,
2: So that wraps up our social questions there.
0: Now we move on. Aaron, what puts your quantum state into flux?
2: I'm glad you asked.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad I asked too, because I want to hear.
2: This is more of a rant than anything else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's still fluxing you, so... It's still
2: fluxing me. And the funny thing is the subspace transporter puts your state in a quantum flux.
0: (laughs) Holy crap! It all ties together. This is the moment. This is the moment we've been waiting for.
2: So, the subspace transporter, sub-quantum transporter, and finally transport beaming are all techniques to extend transporter range. The TNG episode, Bloodlines, was the first episode to utilize a transport technique that was greater than 40,000 kilometers. Yes. In that episode, it was said the technology was highly unstable, and the Federation gave up its development because of unreliability in the energy requirements of the technology. Mm. Although the Ferengi Bok was able to transport about thirty—sorry, about 300 billion kilometers—the next attempt we see at long-range transport was the Enterprise episode Dataless. It was said to be a flawed technology that was also studied by the Vulcans. If it worked, it would have been able to transport you from planet to planet, basically, yeah, basically eliminating the need for Starfleet starships.
1: Hmm.
2: Now for the final long-range transport technology, transwarp beaming. Unlike the others, which had flaws or didn't work at all, this seems... Uh, to work with no issues in the last two feature films. Was Scotty able to fulfill Erickson's dream of transporting from planet to planet without a starship? Yup. Now I guess Star Trek three can just take place on a huge transporter pad. One of the biggest mistakes in the new Star Trek films was to allow a tr- technology like transwar beaming while all the other series would have purposely Made the technology dangerous,
1: mm. Mm.
0: and rant. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good rant. <laughs> okay, first I, I want to say you know the extending the range mm-hmm. forty thousand kilometers is basically the circumference of the Earth. Mm-hmm. So that's like twenty four thousand something miles. That's pretty huge range to begin with. Right. Like, that's that's why they're able to beam down in orbit to a planet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's huge. Right. But I can understand them, them wanting to extend the range, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's necessary because you have starships, even with warp drive. Right. And my big problem is... Well, sure, you can transport those great distances, but what if the planet you're beaming to doesn't have the same technology to bring you back? Right. That's that's my thing. Like, I well, think I
2: if, guess you could. The person that beamed you over could just lock onto you again.
0: It seems like they would have to also develop their sensors better. Like, there'd have to be an advance in sensor technology if you're going to beam someone for you know, 400, 300 billion kilometers away, mm-hmm. you're going to need a sensor that will basically be able to pick you right. and then scan every single one of your molecules. I just think it's never going to happen, even in the Star Trek universe.
2: Well, they have, in the last two movies anyway, perfected transwarp beaming.
0: Which I think is one of the biggest flaws in in the movies. Right. Because even if it's an alternate universe, they still never had that technology in the Prime one.
2: Right, and even if it was Scotty in the 24th century, let's say, is the one that was able to yeah. develop, develop this equation, mm-hmm. would Starfleet... Starfleet would have pursued it in the 24th century, 25th century.
0: Right, but...
2: If Spock knew about it, why right. didn't he... I, I don't know.
0: I, I just think that it's... For me, I th- would think it would only be a one-way trip.
2: Well, look at it like this. If you transport with one of those portable transporters that Khan had...
0: Yeah, but see, to me, that seems like BS, too, because... Oh, no,
2: it was total BS. I really hate that. And yeah. That's, like, the it, whole it, point it, of my rant.
0: Yeah, and that's... that. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, how can... You transport with the transporter you're transporting with because the energy. It's
2: oh no, yeah, I would just transport it's, it's another dumb. one.
0: No, it's still dumb.
2: Oh uh, no, it's totally dumb. I, I
0: totally agree with it, with your <laughs> with your rant. Yeah, it's I don't know, but even in the 29th century in Star Trek, mm-hmm. they still had ships. They even had time ships. Right. But the point is, they still had ships. Like you're, I don't think you're ever gonna do space travel without ships unless, you know, it was some network of transporter like Stargate. Stargate, Exactly. Like Stargate had the Stargates and it was a network of essentially transporters, but that was using wormhole technology. Mm -hmm. So I think the way Star Trek handles beaming, that's only going to happen with a mobile platform like a starship where all the equipment is there to beam you back and forth.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think a long-range transporter, you're taking out the mobile part of it. And my thing is, you would have to have amazing scanners that would need to have the resolution to capture you from that long of a distance. Mm -hmm. And even in the Star Trek universe, I don't think they... Sure, they have long-range sensors... But it's never the detail where, oh yeah, I can see that you know you've got this microbe right here. like right. no, that's not going to happen right, so yeah, that's that's very fluxing.
2: right, and the the reverse transporting you to a far off place, the exact point where you want to go. I highly doubtful there,
0: there's too many variables there because the point that you're traveling from is moving. You know, because the universe is constantly expanding. Right. And so the, your planet is flying at, you know, millions of miles an hour, and the planet that you're doing on the other side of the galaxy that you want a long-range transport to is going at a million miles an hour. And it's, it's like the transporter works as a beam.
2: Mm-hmm. And you get all the stuff in between.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, because now my pattern is going to go through a star or a black hole or right. dark matter. See, with... With a, it's no problem that you, the range is basically the circumference of Earth, because there's still you you can still relatively travel with the planet. You know what I mean? Right. And there can be there's a greater point that you can stay aimed at the point you're beaming at, and there's less stuff in between too. Right. So yeah, I. That's that's my whole big thing with the new JJ universe. I I agree with you. I hate that with a passion. I hate that. I hate that they brought it back in into darkness and Kirk or yeah. er, that Khan was just like bloop. I'm in the Klingon homeworld now. <laughs> like no god. Why? Yeah.
2: It, it yeah terrible. 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 But yeah. Well, so uh, was, that's... this
0: this fluxed us quite a bit. But there's there it is.
2: There it is, and let me know if, if you're as fluxed as we are about this, because i like to know if, I'm sure, most original uh, primers, yeah, I'm going to call us primers.
0: Oh, primers! I like that. Yeah,
2: I'm going to call us primers. All right. Uh, Like, us primers <laughs> are like, you know what? There's no way that's going to happen. No way that's possible. That's stupid. Well, you know
0: what? I think we'll uh, truck you guys later.
2: Trek you later. Thank you all for listening. So Eric, yes, I know we've said this last several episodes, but where can we find you on the internet if we wanted to locate you?
0: I am basically trekkieb 47 on all social media networks. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Ask.fm, <laughs> Tumblr. All that stuff.
2: All that good stuff.
0: Trekkie B four seven and Aaron, where can they find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> under at uh, Nova Charter.
0: Oh, and Star Trek Riza. Oh yeah, busy.
2: and Star Trek Riza at Nova Charter
0: and at trekkieb B four seven. Basically, so just my... do a search.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just search. Nova Charter, Trekkie B47, you'll find us. It's probably us. If not, yeah. they're imposters. Uh,
0: and, then te- and then tell us. Tell us if you find an imposter.
2: Yeah, they're, they're transporter duplicates of us.
0: My god.
2: <laughs> so until next time...
0: Trekkie later.
2: Trekkie later. Uh, keep on trekking. It's trekking time! Bye, you have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.
1: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode brought to you on the Four Eyed Radio Network. If you want to see more shows, eh, check out foureyedradio.com, eh, sorry about that.